You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Well, it's good to see you all. My heart today is that we would know the resurrected one. And not just a head knowledge where we know information about him, but that we would know and experience him. I came across a, a little devotional this week and I, I just thought it was excellent. The author said, studying the word, listening to anointed teaching, and reading eloquently penned depictions of the Lord mean very little unless you discover him for yourself. The voice of his spirit speaks in many ways. It can be heard in, at least, in the least likely places, such as movies, television shows, but hearing him isn't enough. In order to truly enjoy the life you've been designed to have, you must come close to the one who speaks. Let the voice that stirs your heart draw you to know him for yourself. You don't have to listen from afar. You can run into the arms of your savior right now. Encounter the one you hear about, read about, and sing about. Never be satisfied with anything less than love himself. Jesus says, your presence satisfies my deepest yearnings. To know you and to experience your love are my eternal quest. To offer myself to you unreservedly and without question is my greatest honor. Let my life overflow with your glory. Let my love bless you in return. Amen. That's free of charge. <clears throat> Just want to share that because... A lot of times, you know, we've grown up in the church and we've heard about Jesus and we know the Bible story and you know the resurrection, you know the empty tomb. You can tell, you know, Mark's account, Luke's account, uh, Matthew's account, John's account. You can go through all of them and you can bring them together and you know everything about the resurrection. But do you know the resurrected one? The one who was raised on the third day. That's the heart of the Father. It's not that you accumulate all this knowledge intellectually, but that you accumulate experiential knowledge by knowing him as your own savior, as knowing him as your Lord, as knowing him as your best friend, getting to prepare yourself for an eternity with him. Because we are called the church, we are called the bride of Christ. And so that depicts the level of relationship that he wants to have with each one of us. He wants to have a relationship with us that the closest thing we have on planet earth is the marriage covenant. And that is what he wants to communicate for us to understand. That's the kind of intimacy that he wants with us to where two become one. <clears throat> now that kind of blows some of my gaskets in my brain, but my spirit leaps at the reality and the truth of his pursuit of me. We've been in the Gospel of Mark and today's Resurrection Sunday, so we're looking and jumping 10 chapters ahead and we're getting to chapter 16. Begin reading at verse one. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, 
brought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. <clears throat> there you will see him just as he foretold. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, as I've, I've been teaching you about the gospel of Mark, Mark is kind of like the most abbreviated gospel of all the gospels. It's the smallest. He he streamlines, he's definitely talking to a non-Jewish audience. He's trying to get to the cross and then to the resurrection. And he wants us to understand that Jesus is the son of God. And so he's making that. But he skips over a whole lot of stuff. And here, when we look at his account in the first eight verses of chapter 16, we start at the beginning of chapter 16 with the women going to the tomb and forgetting that they need some muscle to move the stone. They ask themselves about it, and as they get there, they find the stone's already moved, and so they go through that whole experience of seeing this young man in a white robe. What do we call young men in white robes? Little angel. <laughs> Paul, you go get a white robe, okay. <laughs> as, as we see this, what happens when, when the angel, the accounts that we don't have is what had previously happened that opened the tomb. There's something about angels as they are standing in the presence of the glory of God, day and night, day and night, they're eternally in his presence. When they come to earth, they're still, they're still emanating and radiating the glorious power of presence of having been in the presence of God. And so it doesn't take a big angel to move a large stone when you have the power and the anointing of God in your life. And so they come, there's the girls, they're, they're wondering what this means, and they are terrified. They are terrified. Now this last year has been a, a year in which the Lord's been teaching me a little bit more about the fear of the Lord and what it means to be terrified. When you're in his presence, a lot of times our, our expression and, and our perception of being in his presence is like a nice worship service in which you know, you feel something as we're singing the songs. Whether you're singing or you're just listening, but there's something that kind of comes upon you and it's, I call it the warm fuzzies of his presence. You know, his presence comes and there's peace and you're enjoying uh, what he's doing and as that's taking place, 
you're aware that the Lord's here. There is a manifestation of his presence that is beyond warm fuzzies. That when you're in his presence, the only word that can come close to describe the presence of the Lord is absolute sheer terror. Terrified is what you'll experience when you come into the presence of the Lord. Here, the ladies are at the tomb and they're just with the messenger that's, came, that's come from the presence of the Lord. He's still emanating with the glory of the presence of the Lord and they are terrified. Now, mind you, a big stone's been moved and Jesus' body's gone. Uh, there's some things that they can't figure out. They, they don't understand what took place, but they're so frightened I don't even know if they hear what the angel tells them. The young man says, you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. He's not here, he's risen. Okay, go tell the disciples and Peter. Why and Peter? Because after you denied Jesus three times, you probably figured that you fouled yourself out of the discipleship club and you're no longer a member. So he says, go tell the disciples and Peter to go on to Galilee and I'll, I'll meet him there. And so you get that kind of input in the scriptures and it's just amazing. But the brief ending in verse eight of Mark, Mark's gospel leaves everybody with scratching their head and in absolute fear. What does this mean? The women are so afraid of what they've just seen in the angel's announcement to them that Christ is risen, that they are so frightened they don't tell anybody. And that's how Mark ends the gospel in some of the late manuscripts. Today we're looking at verses nine through 20. This isn't in the oldest manuscripts, but I think you'll see that it's, it, it holds true to everything that scripture says and it brings together kind of in the abbreviated way that Mark goes through things. Because here at the beginning of chapter 16, we go to the resurrected tomb. And by the time you get to the end of chapter 16, Pentecost has already happened. And the apostles are out preaching in great boldness. So there's a whole lot of space in these next verses from nine to 20 that will cover about 50 days. 50 days are covered in, in these verses at the end of chapter 16. I've always, as an evangelical, tried to stay away from preaching from Mark 16 <clears throat> because, you know, I want to impress everybody with my scholarship and understanding that I understand textual criticism and this is not in the best manuscripts but I couldn't do that this year. It's like the Holy Spirit said, hey, listen, it's in the Bible. It's in my word. You better pay attention to it. So let's look at it. So it begins in verse nine with early on the first day of the week. After rising from the dead, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. After she had seen Jesus, she ran to tell 
his disciples who were all emotionally devastated and weeping. Excitedly, Mary told them, he's alive and I've seen him. But even after hearing this, they didn't believe her. After this, Jesus appeared to two of the disciples who were on their way to another village, appearing in a form they did not recognize. They went back to Jerusalem to tell the rest of the disciples, but they didn't believe it was true. Then Jesus appeared before the 11 apostles as they were eating a meal. He corrected them for having such hard, unbelieving hearts because they did not believe those who saw him after his resurrection. And he said to them, as you go into all the world, preach openly the wonderful news of the gospel to the entire human race. Whoever believes the good news and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe the good news will be condemned. And these miracle signs will accompany those who believe. They will drive out demons in the power of my name. They will speak in tongues. They will supernaturally be protected from snakes, from snakes and from drinking anything poisonous. And they will lay hands on the sick and heal them. After saying these things, Jesus was lifted up into heaven and sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of God. And the apostles went out announcing the good news everywhere as the Lord himself consistently worked with them, validating the message they preached with, mirac with miracle signs that accompanied them. <clears throat> I like to look at this passage and, and this, the way Mark or those who finished his gospel for him, as they put it, it's kind of like you get to see the resurrection from Jesus's perspective. You know, <clears throat> the others is telling you from the disciples' perspective or the eyewitnesses' perspective of this is what happened. Jesus came here and did that. But here it's like, and Jesus first came to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he cast out seven demons. Now, how do you hear that? Some of you may have some demons that you're dealing with in your own life today. Guess what? The resurrected Lord appears to those who've had demons, who have demons, and who will have demons. You are not disqualified from the revelation of the resurrected one just because the demonic has somehow attached itself to you. I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. I'm just thinking, this is really great. Mary Magdalene dealt with hers and had been a follower of Jesus for quite some time. But for many of us, we find that once the enemy finds a way into our hearts, into our minds, into our thoughts, into our cravings, our desires, that he has a way of always going back to that place and finagling with it to see if he can get us to go back the way we once were. That does not disqualify you from being in the presence of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He comes to those who need a physician. He comes to those who need help. He doesn't come to the ones who are self-righteous and think that they got it all together. That's not why he came. He came for the ones who've been demonically tormented that have been pursued by darkness, that the enemy's 
constantly trying to take the good cravings of our heart and twist and pervert them into something unhealthy and harmful for us. This is the Lord. He pursues. He pursues us. Now, drives me to drinking. I don't know how many times you've been caught in your addiction. Caught might not be the word, but but gone back, relapse, act out, back into the addiction, even though you don't want to, but you, but you do. And after your 3,561 prayers of, Lord, I'm sorry, please forgive me for what I've done. Have you ever had the thought that, I think he's disgusted with me. I don't think he's gonna forgive me this time. That thought doesn't come from the Lord. That thought comes from the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness will always try to make you feel as though you are not worthy of being loved by God. And any time that is being whispered in your, inside your head, inside your heart, in your spirit, you gotta realize that's coming from the enemy. That is not coming from the one who loves you and gave himself for you. He will go to any length to secure your heart and for you to connect in a personal knowledge, a relational knowledge of who he is. He loves you. I love that about Mary. And I love that about the gospel. She's the first one that Jesus appeared to. Secondly, he appeared to two other disciples as they were on their way to the village. We call that the, the two on the road to Emmaus. And as they're, as they're walking along, Jesus joins them and they're kind of sad and downcast because they've just seen Jesus crucified <clears throat> and now it's the third day. And as they're going on this path, on this road, you know, Jesus shows up, but they don't recognize him. Isn't that cool? I wonder how many times Jesus has shown up next to us and we didn't realize it was him. Hmm. And so he, he withheld the ability for them to recognize him. And he goes and, and they talk and then he starts explaining how all the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah are fulfilled in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And pretend like he's gonna go further. They say, oh no, no, stay with us. And they recognize him when he takes the bread and he breaks it and he gives thanks. And they realize it's Jesus. Wow. When do we realize it's Jesus? Oftentimes it's when we see him doing what we've seen him do before. When has he shown up for you? Every time you ask him to forgive, he shows up. And one of the ways in which he continually manifests himself is every time we ask him to forgive us of our sins, he always shows up. It's something that we're familiar with. And he comes. So the, the lie that I really want to stomp on today is that you only get three strikes and you're out. No. 
every time you confess your sin, every time you ask him to forgive you, he does. And he manifests and reveals himself as the resurrected one. I love that about him. Third, he comes before the 11 apostles. They're eating a meal. He shows up. He's excited to see them. Yeah, I'm not so sure. (laughs) He's there to rebuke them. He's there to rebuke them. And when I look at the rebuke of Jesus, I know that there's nothing more wonderful than being rebuked by Jesus. I've been rebuked by other people and it's not pleasant at all. But when Jesus rebukes me, there's something always redemptive about his rebuke. But notice what what he does. He, He corrects them, he rebukes them because they did not believe Mary Magdalene. The very first one that saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead, they did not believe Mary. Why? Oh, she had demons. We can't believe somebody who's got demons. You know, her testimony's compromised. She's a woman. You don't believe women, do you? They exaggerate. It can't be true. He rebukes them for not believing her testimony. Okay? Then he rebukes them for not believing the two disciples who are male, who are disciples of Jesus who come and say, we've seen him, he's alive, and they refuse to believe. (sighs) To me, it, it sounds like we better take seriously when someone says that the Lord showed them something, we probably ought to listen. We ought to listen pretty carefully when the Lord is speaking to someone else. We better not write them off as, oh, they're just Pentecostal. They're just a wild, crazy, Pentecostal, charismatic, you know, you can't believe what they're saying. No, we better pay attention. When someone is giving a testimony of what Jesus has done in their life, what they have seen with their eyes, we better take that seriously, because the Lord does. And matter of fact, we've, we've taught on testimony because testimony means do it again. When you testify to something, what the Lord has done for you, you create an environment for the Lord to do it to others who want to come in and get a part of that. We're gonna have a baptism today. Just gonna be glorious. And as we have a baptism today, one aspect of the baptism is a fresh start is a new start. And I would encourage you, if you want to piggyback on a baptism of a fresh start, today would be a good day to do that. To say, Lord, what you're doing for this one, I want you to do for me. I need cleansed. I need a fresh start. Because what I've been experiencing up until now is not going to cut it And I know the next day, Monday, I'm going to be right in the midst of my difficulty if you don't give a fresh start, if I don't have an encounter with you personally, the resurrected one. I love that. So after he rebukes them for not believing those who saw him, 
after his resurrection, he now, <laughs> this is only in the Gospel of Mark, where you go like light speed, we, we go into warp mode, and now we fast forward to the Great Commission. This is Mark's version of the Great Commission that we find in Matthew 28. And here he says, go into all the world. After he corrects them, rebukes them, he commissions them, okay? Just because the Lord rebukes you and corrects you doesn't mean he's finished with you. He usually corrects you because he's about to use you and you need to get a little bit of an adjustment before you'll be able to fully, be fully effective in what he's called you to do. So here he's commissioning them. Preach openly the wonderful news of the gospel to the entire human race. Back in the 70s, we called it the every creature crusade. You know, in, in the King James, it talks about and preach the gospel to every creature. And so I preached to Chewy. Chewy, you need to repent. You need to get right with Jesus. You, you, you need to come to him. I got a good friend, Adam Talent. He's, he pastors a Christian Missionary Alliance church down in Fountain Square. And he sent me a video. And if I had enough video tech, I'd, I'd put it up there. His little girl, just old enough to talk, is up on the platform where the pulpit is. And she's there and she's preaching and she's preaching and she's preaching. And then he pans into the audience. And in the audience in the front row, is their basset hound. <laughs> Every creature crusade, yeah. I remember Mahesh Chavda, I've, I've shared this story a couple times, I just love this story. Mahesh uh, is an incredible apostle of the Lord and he's out in, in the woods being, having some, some time with the Lord and there's the monkeys that are in the trees. And he says, I want you to preach the gospel to the monkeys. And so he starts preaching the gospel to the monkeys and he's, you know, he's, and the spirit came out and said, no, I want you to preach to the monkeys. You know, preach, the, preach to the monkeys. So he preaches all about Jesus and he, gets there and he says, I want you to give an invitation. Call the monkeys forth. And so he gives an invitation. What he didn't know on the other side of the hill, the ladies were washing their clothes. And they heard the gospel. And as he gave the invitation, they came around the hill and came and accepted Jesus. So if you hear Jesus say, preach to every creature, preach to every creature, you never know who might overhear what you're sharing and your testimony. You say, but I'm not a preacher. Listen, when you share what the Lord has done for you, you're preaching. The Lord had, had mercy on me. He forgave me my sin. He, he came into my heart. He cleansed me. I haven't felt this clean and <sighs> that is preaching through testimony. So those who believe are saved. Believed and baptized. Now you're saying, okay, I... I haven't been baptized. So if I die, am I going to hell? No. You know, it, it, it's, it's not about getting wet that saves you and gives you access to heaven. It's about what happens in your heart and the subsequent relationship with Jesus through the remainder of your life that's important.
the, the thief on the cross is our proof text that we look to because that guy didn't get baptized. He was already nailed to the cross next to Jesus. But Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And so we understand, is baptism important? Absolutely, why? Because it's an outward visible sign of an inward spiritual reality. Baptism is very important because it is a public testimony to the community that you have invited Jesus to be Lord of your life and it is your intention to walk with him the rest of your life. That's pretty mega. And when it happens in, in hostile countries where Christianity is not esteemed, it may cost you your life. And for some of my friends, it cost them their place in their family. They were disowned by their parents and their family. They were not allowed to be considered a son any longer. But over time, my friend led his family to the Lord because they saw the truth of Jesus in his life. If they do not believe, they're condemned. Black and white. If you don't believe, guess what? God never sends anyone to hell. Let's be very clear about this. We send ourselves to hell. We have the choice, we have the access. As he says, this is my son, believe in him. <laughs> and when we say, no, I won't, guess what? We choose not to believe. And when you choose not to believe, out of the words of Jesus, we'll be condemned. That's sobering, a sobering reality. <clears throat> then he goes on, as you're preaching, and some will believe and some may not believe, as, as you're preaching, here's the miracle signs that follow those who believe, which is really interesting. They will drive out demons in the power of my name. And we find out all through the gospel of Mark, Jesus and the disciples are casting out demons. That's part of what it means to follow him. They will speak in tongues. Oh boy, are we really gonna talk about tongues today? We've got, we've got guests here. You know, I've got mom and aunt and uncle and special people. They, are we, listen, it's New Testament. It's in the scriptures. If you got a problem with it, deal with it, period. If it's a problem to you, get before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't understand what this stuff is. But all through scripture, you'll find it all the way through the New Testament. After Pentecost, we find that one of the manifestations and gifts of the Holy Spirit is this gift of speaking in tongues. Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. And yet we love Paul for all his wonderful, wonderful writings in the New Testament, but we choke when he says, I speak in tongues more than all. Oh. Can't can we take that out? I had an old Bible, still have it, it's in my office. And it's so worn out that, that portions of the scripture just fall out. And my, one of my friends who was a, was a Baptist, 
and he was coming into the things of, of the Spirit. You know, <laughs> he was talking about, and he was pursuing the Holy Spirit, and he was desirous of all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that's, I, I, never, I never targeted the gift of tongues. I wanted everything God had for me, and if it included that, sign me up, because I want everything that the Lord has for me. So out of that heart, I received the gift of tongues. And it was just like, and I thought, oh, jeepers. If I was gonna get a gift, I'd like the gift of healing. Anybody want the gift of healing? <clears throat> Anybody wanna prophesy? <laughs> you look through the gifts and I'm thinking of all the gifts, the one I probably would not sign up for with the same eagerness as those would be the gift of tongues. But that's just because I'm ignorant. Just flat out, plano ignorant. Because the scripture says, all these other gifts are to build up the body of Christ. But tongues is to edify the individual believer. It's to build up yourself in the spirit. I don't know about you, but I get my butt handed to me regularly in the kingdom of darkness if I'm not praying in the spirit. Praying in the spirit has helped me navigate some of the most difficult moments of my life. Why? I don't know what I'm saying. I let my spirit take over and the Holy Spirit and they mingle and, and it just is uh, uh, one of those things that defies my logic, but not the reality of my life. It works. Just in case you're wondering, you just heard a testimony. Be careful how you handle that. If you dismiss it, the Lord may come and rebuke you at some point. <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta stay with the significance of what the Lord is saying and the testimony that we hear. <clears throat> they will be supernaturally protected from snakes and from drinking anything poisonous. <clears throat> now, as as this passage has been taken and misused. That's why most of us don't like to preach from Mark 16 at Easter. is because, you know, we're thinking, okay, you're one of those churches, huh? And so, you know, Quinn, would you go out and get the rattlesnakes and bring, bring those in? No. But, but there's, there's a practice among some that this is to prove the genuineness of their faith. And believe me, for me to put my hand in and take care of a rattlesnake I would have to be stoned before I would do anything like that yeah. but we see picking up snakes Moses picked up he had his rod he threw it down it became a snake he went and picked it up again it became a rod I don't understand all that all I know is I think the emphasis of what Jesus is trying to convey is there's going to be supernatural protection as you go doesn't mean you're not gonna get stoned, doesn't mean you're not gonna get beaten, doesn't mean you're gonna, not gonna jail, you're not gonna have a shipwreck, doesn't mean any of those things, but there will be supernatural protection at some level. So let's get walking and let's get testimonies of how the Lord's protected us, what he's done. I know the first time I was in the presence of a guy who was demonized and he's picking up a lazy boy recliner chair like it was a Barbie a little plastic chair in a Barbie house, and he just, 
And the Lord protected me and I just put my hand on his chest and I said, in the name of Jesus, be quiet. And he dropped to the floor and I thought, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is real power in the name of Jesus. Now this isn't for you to go out and play with and just say, okay, power in the name of Jesus. You know, no, out of your relationship, out of your relationship as you're going, you'll know that you have power and you have authority in his name. Hmm. So use it, especially as the Holy Spirit leads you to use it. They will lay hands on the sick and heal them. I love that. I love that. Now we're talking about a gift that I've pursued my whole life. I, I, I love to see when God's kingdom invades this kingdom, this reality, and he trumps disease, sickness, even death. I love it when it comes in and manifests like that. Lay hands on the sick and heal them. It doesn't say lay hands on the sick and pray for them. It says heal them. Oh, anybody feeling a little uncomfortable? <laughs> it seems to be the expectation of Jesus that in our relationship with him, as we go to a sick person and we lay hands on them, that he is going to heal them. You don't heal them, he heals them. But we do have to be obedient and go to them and lay hands on them. So after he says these things, and this is how Mark just kind of summarizes everything, Jesus was lifted up into heaven. So we go from resurrection to the Great Commission, to Pentecost, to the disciples out preaching, to the ascension. And here he is, he's ascending. He sits down at the place of honor at the right hand of God. <clears throat> wow. And we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. So where Jesus is seated, we're seated with him. And the apostles went out announcing the good news everywhere. And the whole book of Acts is, is a historical document to that effect. And the Lord consistently worked with them. It wasn't as though they had to figure this out on their own. The Lord was with them as they went. And as they went, the Lord then validated the message that they were preaching with miracle signs that accompanied. And so today, would you like to know the resurrected one? He loves you and he wants you to know how much he loves you. And whatever the kingdom of darkness is trying to block the signal and the communication of his love with feelings, with thoughts, with uh, <clears throat> wondering whether I've committed the unpardonable sin. Just a, a hint, if you're wondering if you've ever committed the unpardonable sin, you haven't, period. Because if you've committed the unpardonable sin, you don't even care and you never even have a thought about whether you've committed the unpardonable sin. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.